minefields, Star Trek, the next generation, unification part two. good brother how you doing i am freaking wiped out i did way too much stuff this weekend and we're only now getting back to unification what yeah like we did this as a two-parter so these won't get blended together Uh, no no like when we did best of both worlds and redemption oh i split those up you did okay cool yeah yeah unification part two i think that the yeah, we, we were talking about it last time, and there was the, the whole business of the, the tension-building aspect of that last episode. Maybe it's because I was looking at Unification Part 1 as being Unification Part 1 of 2, and it's its own story. You know? It is its own episode, even if it is part, a, a, a two-parter. There's culture clashes going on between the Klingons, Captain Picard, and Data. There's... Uh, the mystery aspect, tracking down all the clues with uh, Shrek and the uh, uh, the scrapyard. There's getting to see the Romulan homeworld for pretty much the first time ever. Um, and their gross-ass soup. Yeah, whatever their soup, <laughs> whatever the deal is with that soup. It's always a broth. Um, they just go way out of their way to make everybody vegetarians in the future until you get to Deep Space Nine and then Miles O'Brien is like, no, y'all have mutton and sushi and whatever you want to throw at me. I want to have food. Make it, make it out of real food. Uh, and it can be meats. But yeah, yeah. We So at the end of the last episode, uh, Captain Card and uh, Data, they managed to find Spock's underground movement. They more or less lucked into it. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they kind of... I think it was one of those unfortunate things where the writers were just going, we've got to get them all together, we might as well do something to build a little bit more tension, and then that's what they did. They were just like, boom, we're in a cave. And uh, here's Spock. But the beauty of it was, you really can't tell what Spock's motivation is from that last, you know, gotcha moment. So, When I first started watching all of the Star Treks in order... Uh, and fell in love with Tasha Yar. You did your best to be like, ah, don't get too attached to her. <laughs> but yeah, but but I imprinted on her immediately. And you're like, ah, well, maybe there's a couple things you might be okay with in the future and some weird time shit. I'm like, God damn it. Yeah. And I was very happy about this particular episode because, God damn, that woman is gorgeous and is I just love all iterations of her character, daughter, uh, future, past. Regular, getting banged by data. Yep. <laughs> you need to watch. Uh, do you like Yar or do you like uh, Denise Crosby portraying Yar? Yar, I like Yar. Yeah, yeah. That woman, that woman did not age well. She did not age well the same way that uh, I got all completely titillated by Lori Petty as Tank Girl, and now she's looks like a, like someone left a potato out in the the sun too long. I gotta say, I liked I liked her in Tank Girl, but um, I was way more into Naomi Watts. And um, then uh, Lori Petty shows up in an episode of Voyager several years later. Um, Lori Petty, Dude. I, you know, it was it, it, she was super cute in a League of her, her, a League of Their Own, and then she also had her moments in uh, Point Break. Oh yeah, being really and cute, that- but. Oh, yeah, with uh, her and Keanu, right? Yeah, I don't think that anybody cast her because they were like, this chick is cute. I think I heard was, she's a big pain in the ass. That's probably one of those reasons, you know, we don't see her in everything. Um, you know, that's a whole deal. Like, why do cast members get written off of shows? Why do, uh, why do, why do people just disappear? 
You know, there's the whole business with Sean Young in Hollywood. You 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 read my fucking mind. Yeah. You read my mind. Uh, she she fucked up big time after Blade Runner, and then like uh, she was a pain in the ass even during Ace Ventura. Mm-hmm. And I remember she would do like these uh, PSAs about don't cut yourself because I was a cutter and an alcoholic, and you could look in her eyes like God, I just can't wait to cut and drink more. <laughs> <laughs> She, um, was, uh, she was in Dune, and while they were filming Dune, she did all of these really kind of nice travel logs. Like, you really read my mind. the scenes. Uh, so uh, not everybody's all bad. Not everybody's all difficult, you know? But, yeah, um, like uh, the other day a buddy asked me uh, via uh, Instagram, uh, which Hulk do you like better? Uh, it was like Ferrigno, uh, Eric Banya, Norton, and... Um, Mark Yeah, and I immediately Norton. Like no one's ever said that before. I'm like, man, if the guy wasn't such a big pain in the ass, like he would have been like the best Bruce Banner ever, better than Bixby. But like, hey, he's got to rewrite shit and be Mister Fucking Big Ball. So you know he's gone. And Ruffalo capitalized, and I mean, I, I think he did a great job. I think the best time he did it was in uh, Ragnarok when he really shined mm-hmm. as like the yeah. the the. He's kind of like that dopey nerd in that everything else he's just kind of just reacting as opposed to um, acting the way yeah. he did in, in everything else. Uh, so that's not, fun. You didn't like Zodiac very much, right? Oh, that dude! I, like both, my, I watched that with my mom, and we both fell asleep watching that. I loved but, his performance in that movie. I thought Mark Ruffalo was fantastic as the lead investigator on the Zodiac killer case. Um, if you, if, which consequently turns out to be an, a, 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 an early opportunity to pair up uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Mark Ruffalo in, in, a, in a show. Um, it was still good, but I, uh, it was not what I wanted from a Fincher movie, but that, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, uh, right, you, we're way off topic. But uh, no, I know way, what you mean, yeah. Because, you know, at least we swing around to people that we thought are good. I mean, you know, Patrick Stewart had issues with uh, Diana Muldaur coming in as uh, Dr. Pulaski in season two. Oh, yeah. And I don't recall off the top of my head why the showrunners said, let's do, let's, let's get rid of Dr. Crusher. I'm like, that's the whole gist of the thing. It's the, fa- it's the mother and son relationship. And then to pull that out, I, and, but, you know, that's the thing with Denise Crosby. That's not why she left the show. She didn't feel like the character was going to go anywhere. She, <coughs> she just didn't see a future for it, and uh, she wanted to explore other opportunities. Um, do you really think that she would have like that Yar would have had like uh, man I, I hate to say it despite that I loved her character that much uh, she was right you, 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 you lose her and then Worf steps in and yeah. uh, and here we go um, yeah it sorry. was an automatic obvious thing to get Worf to be not just a junior lieutenant in you know in a command division, but to make him the security guy and you've got him obviously in his world as a warrior, but having to be outside of his box where he also is suddenly I'm in command of a division and I'm in, I'm responsible for a department, but it takes so, you know, and and you know that the writers weren't writing it like that, seeing the future. Oh yeah. We're going to have him like point the phaser at the, screen every time something comes on and, and you know, Patrick's going to keep shutting him down. But then uh, you will get away from that later. That's just not how they operate. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just, yeah, well, I don't remember where it was that I saw that. Oh, gosh, it was, it could, I, maybe it was Trek Core. No, maybe not Trek Core. Maybe it was uh, uh, Lore Reloaded or something like that. I, I just remember talking to uh, some dudes listening to, uh, a po- listening to a pod- another another show on YouTube or podcast about yeah. how amazing it was and how obvious it was to just usher Worf into that spot. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, let's uh, let's 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 do it. What, what episode are we? This uh, is season uh, part five. Two. Season uh, five, episode eight. We're on Netflix. We're uh, at all zeros. Um, same thing we always say, you're probably not watching this for the first time, and you're probably not watching it to get the complete gist of the story. You're here to hear us yap. So uh, you're not going to get any broadcast quality from us, 
You're just going to hear our, our perspectives on everything. Um, so, yeah, there's a recap at the beginning of this one that precedes a cold open. And then, so we'll probably talk a little bit more about the episode from that we watched. And then it'll go into the opening. And we, we, don't, we, we don't skip the uh, opening credits, as you may have noticed by now. So, gotcha. uh, yeah, you ready? Ready. Okay, here we go. We're going to do it on Engage in, uh, at the end of a countdown. Three, two, one, Engage. So, what did he die of? You know, you asked me that the other day when we recorded the first one, and, um, you know, I I still have not had a minute to figure that out. I will look that up right now while we're recapping. You drive the uh, circumstances. All right, am I uh, taking home? Yeah, yeah, no, you're driving right now. You're in charge. (laughs) Tell me what you Uh, think about this recap. Well, what I, well, I don't really care about the recap. What I really was thinking about was of all the characters that they would choose to pick of, like, the main, like, what, like, seven from the original series mm-hmm. that Spock, w- w- is he arguably the most important character? Uh, I think that across the span, that's a, a great question. Across mm-hmm. the span of the entire Star Trek franchise, I'm going to say yes. Captain Kirk may have been the focus of the original series. He's the focus of all of those feature films, and Spock needed to have those roles and those important things to do. But when you have a character that is not necessarily immortal, but who can live longer than his uh, comrades, and he can show up in all these circumstances, yes. When you hear about all those girls growing up back then, they had a crush on Spock for whatever reason, you know. He was, he was kind, yeah. but he was controlled. He was disciplined, but he could lose it and he could just go wild on you, maybe. And, you know, so that, those are things. Because Star Trek is a uh, wide appeal fan base that has, you know, uh, a large female fan base. And there's something sexy about Spock. He, um, uh, he's, he's referenced in 30 Rock when uh, in one particular episode where Tina Fey mentioned that uh, she had a, a nude photo of a of a big woman because he uh, by a, that oh, is yeah, an original right. uh, that is an original Namoy <laughs> <laughs> yes and it, that that was important because his his uh, photography of uh, bigger girls was groundbreaking yeah no I, I totally he, 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 I remember that it, was, it wasn't it wasn't just hot fat chicks like in in uh, you know skimpy clothes he really captured something. Yeah, I completely agree. I've seen, uh, I've seen X. I haven't had, I haven't had a copy of that book in my hands, but I've seen like uh, depictions from it. And um, well, we had that book at OU for its time. Oh, did you? You guys had it down there? Yeah, at OU. Uh, oh, it's nice. I guess there's there's a photography school, right? It's photography journalism down there. Yeah, I took it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So here again, we've got Captain Picard still in his Romulan. Uh, makeup that somehow I still don't like that uh, he and Data just put that on by themselves or <laughs> whatever. But uh, like they they're just uh, estheticians. <laughs> look at look at uh, Spock uh, his collar. When you can see the his undershirt, he has a ribbed trapunto uh, stitched collar like he had Beautiful. in the motion pictures. I That's, like the. Uh, I never noticed the, that. The, I like the villainous curves to the elbows to to the shoulder. Sorry. Oh, the uh, Romulan. That the, uh, the Romulans have. Mm-hmm. That, that is a, that is a villainous trope, even from like '80s cartoons. Yeah, totally. Those costumes, all of that stuff. We had a lot of these Romulan civilian costumes, and they uh, in the in the warehouse, uh, and they got reused in birthright parts. I guess one and two, or mainly two. Um, uh, th- yeah, this stuff. This stuff is frequently reoccurring when it comes to the Romulans. It'd just be molded foam, cut like shaped. It's just shaped cut foam that makes that that happen. Uh, and I've seen some really great Romulan cosplay. Somebody- this discourse. Hmm? This this discourse here. Like I know your dad more than you know him, and oh, I know yeah. you're pissed about it. And just relax. I'll let you have it. Just. Calm the fuck down, and it's yours. I didn't even realize I didn't have the uh, captions on until now. 
I'm going to say that that collar he's got, he's probably re-wearing something from Star Trek V right here, from his, uh, from the assault on Nimbus Three. Well, even then, uh, <clears throat> costume aside, the only card that Picard has is, yeah. I know what your dad knows and you want to know it, and then if I tell you, give me everything and we got to get this done because I trust you, we'll, we'll figure it out. That's a good point. I th- you know, Picard has to come in there, you know, with the, the Starfleet agenda. And um, he knows, I mean, there's, there's a sense of duty. But Spock also, I think he got that moment in uh, Star Trek VI, and the writers were well aware of that because that had come out by this point. Uh, you know, hey, we've done our bit for king and country. We don't have to go on and do this. And this is, of course, another 70-some-odd years later, 78 years later, or something like that. And so Spock is doing his own thing. But it always... Looking at this, yeah, he's talking about Kirk now. He's talking about Star Trek VI. He's done that all the way up to the end. That's a great line. I'm unwilling to risk anybody else's life but my own. Yeah. And he's saying, nobody else has to do this. I'm going to do this. So Spock just completely neglects to realize that, yeah, I can go off and do what I want to do in my little solo ship with my nuclear-generated, like, blood, (laughs) like that ball. I'm not even referencing this or anything. Even now, he's just going off and... Doing cowboy diplomacy, just mm-hmm. exactly like that. He neglects to realize that he has friends and people that care about him. It, it's, it's kind of a, a thing about him if, from what I've seen so far. And then people show up like, dude, where have you been? We miss you. What the fuck? Uh, what do you need? Uh, we showed up even though uh, we're committing some serious well, treason. What we're, it, <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't say it's treason. I think that what we're missing here is Spock is half human. And the older he gets, the more human he acts. He has got a. By the time you see him in the uh, Kelvin timeline, he is acting so far away from being a Vulcan uh, as to say that he's acting on his human instinct virtually alone. Do and they with, do that with Worf as well? The older he gets, the more human uh, or well, no. Federation he becomes? No, because that's the thing. I, I remember thinking about this years and years ago when he first joined the Deep Space Nine cast. Uh, I read the novelization of Way of the Warrior, and I remember the, expand, the author expounding upon that, saying, you know, maybe you're not Klingon, maybe you're not Starfleet, maybe you're not Federation, maybe you're the best of all of that. Take every good thing you can be from all of that, and maybe that's what you need to aspire to. Sometimes you're going to need to be more Klingon. Sometimes you're going to need to be more Starfleet. But Worf is always in conflict with what he's going to do. And even that's a thing that they really mess with because uh, years after the fact, he's still wrestling with things that he's already wrestled with. He's dealing with problems that he should never, that he should have got figured out. So it's it's unfortunate. And I think it's just be, that the it's either inconsistent writing or wishy-washiness on the part of the showrunners. I would say wishy-washiness. Because I don't think it's Dorn. I don't think Michael Dorn was the guy saying, no. oh, I think this should happen. But, uh, yeah. Hmm. Oh, oh back the on the Klingon ship. Dude, you know what? I realized we were talking about Steven Root last time, who is portraying Captain uh, Kavada here. Yeah. I was just getting cleaned up before we got to talking about, before we got to sitting in on this. And Steven Root, right there. There you are. Told you. And I totally recall Steven Root is in Crocodile Dundee 2. Yep. He's one, He's the cop that uh, Dundee comes up to and uh, wields his knife against uh, at the urinal. <laughs> he's the uh, he's the cop in Ghost that doesn't believe uh, oh, that Demi right. Moore. Yeah, that awesome. doesn't believe Demi Moore. Yeah, he was. He really. He really performed the hell out of that little bit part, didn't he? Now, uh, just complete off subject. Okay, so they they show Denise Crosby showing up here. Nowadays, they would have shown that afterwards. Afterwards, because that would have been a surprise. 
as in like, oh, here's Denise Crosby. Like, okay, so she's obviously it's Denise Crosby. She's going to be some sort of iteration of Tasha, um, as opposed to letting everyone know that she's going to be in the episode. Let them know afterwards. Oh, like, right. Oh. Yes, they. Yeah. Uh, I can't think. I know that there's a TNG episode where they did do that, um, but uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not coming up with it. Well, they did that on uh, some of the other series as well. I like that. I like that Data, Data can kind of, you know, hold his own with the fucking Klingons. Yeah. If he comes in and he just, hey, this is what I need to do. I'm being very specific ah, about mm, it. And if you don't understand, yeah. I'm not going to condescend. This is what I'm trying to tell you. They, they're okay mm. with him. I think at the mm. end, there's a, a, at least an understanding, you know? <clears throat> they reuse this little area like 20 times and really get their money's worth out of it. It's great. Yeah, I mean, it's not the... Just, it's, it's, yeah, it's... I'm, I'm giving it a grudging appreciation but uh Joel, you know, they built that set for this episode this would have taken up a lot of space in a soundstage at the paramount lot joe lawn true what does that mean oh that's a typical greeting romulan greeting Romulans, you know i don't feel like you see it more than once or twice amongst uh romulan military now uh, one of the things I always wondered here was Spock blending in as a Romulan descendant. Yes. He's no, like, that's the thing is that I feel like the Romulan Tal Shiar would be well aware that Spock, and we know because Proconsul Neral under he knows what's going on there. Yeah, uh, we saw him, you know, revealing it to Senator Pardek that Spock is among us. Well, they're gonna know, and. The, the typical Romulan passerby is not going to know that, oh, hey, that's Spock of Vulcan. Yeah. Based on his look. Or, I mean, or, that's the thing. Or, is that Romulans and Vulcan. You understand, of course, that Romulans and Vulcans have the shared ancestry, right? It's shared ancestry. That's what, that, that's my point. Like, mm-hmm. uh, is, is, are his ears too pointy that a, uh, any mm-hmm. Romulan would see, like, that's a Vulcan? No. Look at his forehead. He doesn't have the forehead ridges either. He, he doesn't at all. But... That's look. I mean, this young boy Jadan here, or Jatan rather, um, telling uh, you know he's talking about their shared history, and I remember getting into some other uh, expounded information, talking about the loss of those cranial ridges, and it's it's not like you know racial profiling or something, but. There are loads like of Chinese versus that just Japanese don't have that. Yeah, understandable. Yeah, it's like oh, it's a recessive trait or something like that. I wish they'd wear those hoods more. Yeah, you just don't see any reason for the hoods unless they did something with them. It's we don't see any weather here. Yeah, I'm looking at this set, and like I say, I feel like there's some really good quality. I love the texture on those walls. I love the washes. I love the the depreciated quality in some aspects of it. I feel like, unfortunately, this city should be a little bit like cleaner and more pure. But they're trying to go with that uh, modern Soviet apartment block culture appeal here. I feel like they did Cardassia stacks better. on stacks. Yeah, more or less. I mean, what is this? Probably well, some I- kind of limestone, or I don't know what, but. Um, well, that would make sense, stacks on stacks, if they're inter- you know, engaging with, uh, you know, head council here. They're probably in a major metropolitan area where, yeah, there'd be stacks on stacks where everything's pretty as clean as they can be. I mean, I'm, think about New York in the 70s as compared to what it is now. Oh, for real. I'm just I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is that I feel like the loss of opportunity for better production design happened here because look at all of the world-class screen makeup we have going on all oh. over the place. We have multiple characters that needed incredible makeup. We have multiple guys that have like everybody, this guy, even this guy's got that saggy face feature like Shrek had. It's the same bar from back in the day. And that Riker again doing and Riker again doing what he's got to do. It's kind of funny. He's just like, I'm beaming down there and I'm going to take care of this. I like this chip. And I'm going to go, I'm going to flirt with the divine of uh, whatever bar this is. <laughs> yeah. Whether 
it's uh, male, female, or whatever the fuck it is, I'm going to charm it and get what I want. Her name is Amari, and uh, I think that she's the same race as uh, one of the guys that was after Data in um, The Most Toys. The Collector. Yeah, uh, Fakivas Fajo, the Collector, but he had a buddy that came and visited the ship. I remember. Yeah. That's just gross. By the way, we were talking about Gene Roddenberry earlier. He had a cardiac arrest moment. Oh. Is that... Are those antenna from her head, or is that just part of her garb? <laughs> that is all going to be like, you know, hey, I've got... Uh, oh, those are... No, those, those are... Uh, yeah. I was thinking that they were... Antenna. Or those are just silly straws. I would qualify that as a highfalutin fashion for whatever she happens to be. Think about that, man. When you watch when you watch Deep Space Nine, you see a place like this all the time. Right. Now this is a dark, seedy, smoky looking place. And And you walk in all clean. (laughs) As opposed yeah, like Quarks is better looking than this because it's a standing set and it was a huge set. And so it just fascinates me to look at this and say we've got all these characters that they're, they're, they're in their particular high fashion. If you're going to go someplace in space and you're going to encounter Bolians here and you're going to encounter uh, Denobulans there or whatever and you're going to see them all in their thing... Like, does she get made up that way every single day, or is this what she wears when she's performing? Or when you look at, like, Quark, and you see all of the amazing costumes he has, or a lot of the other Ferengi. It's like, oh, that's a Ferengi waiter's outfit, or that's a Ferengi diamonds uniform, or something like that. And then you get all these businessmen and traders and stuff like that. Um, they're wearing different stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it just... The idea that you would go someplace and see people in their particular high fashion. Yeah, I don't know if you've traveled. You've been out of the country. I mean, like, I don't know what anybody wore, like, in Guam. It was all uniforms. Oh, in terms of, like, what the Chamorros were wearing in, in Guam? Oh, dude, yeah, sure. it was just, uh, honestly, to to be perfectly candid, like, I, I came off pretty racist as for it. These guys were just a bunch of lazy assholes. Okay. <laughs> like, I, don't, I, I wouldn't consider that. Uh, racist, but uh, they were all in flip flops and um, long t-shirts and shorts, and their greeting is half a day. Uh, the way that uh, the way you say goodbye is half a day as well. You know, hello, like aloha, the same way for aloha. And the joke was was that what half a day was h h a f h half a day. Yeah. No, no, it's H A F A D I. I can't remember specifically, but they would joke that that's their work, their work ethic. And <laughs> I'm like, man, these guys are a bunch of lazy assholes. And you know, they're living off the taxes uh, from the, the. They're living off not paying taxes and American money while hating America or the United States at the same time. It was like this weird, like small underlying of like, yeah, we don't like the United States, but we sure as hell like their money. And um, I'm getting way off topic here, but uh, that's okay. The, the, I mean, the, what, 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 I'm what I'm getting at I'm is get... like you were in a place, and they all had a particular appearance, right? Because but the when circumstances I, when I... called for it, and that's what I'm saying is like, look at the Romulans; they all look alike. Agreed. They all have the same and... hairstyle. They all have the same kind of clothes. And it's, well, it... just just so our listeners don't think I'm an asshole, <laughs> uh, I, came, I, I came around and realized, no, of course they're that's how they dress. Of course that's their attitude. They're in an island paradise. Why the fuck not? Oh, I know. You know, you, you've got all these people that, hey, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to go live that style. I mean, they're going to go there and be barefoot all the time and, and carry their guitar around and smoke the ganja or whatever they're going to yep. do because they feel like this is what I'm supposed to do there. What do you think about this guy here in terms of what we're talking about here as a product of his environment? Uh, do, do you think this is a guy that rose through the ranks thinking to uh, be the most uh, badass Roman he can be, or is this a little rich boy, bitch boy? Uh, well, he's going to show up again in Deep Space Nine, and he's going to be a completely oh, different fine. type of person and a different type of character. 
So no, I think that he is. A, I think he's a functionary that is a up and comer. I think that he is uh, pouring it on in any way he can be to uh, jockey his way into position. Also, I would do anything to go back to Guam. Why? Just because it was a nice place, or what? It was, it was paradise. Oh, no kidding. This this always intrigued me the the formal robes with the rogue wear. Interesting. <laughs> Who's wearing? What do you mean, like rogue wear? Like these regular well, and, civilians? And, yeah, I see regular civilian wear. Like I, I I I really feel like I can see the difference between the different textures between the guys behind this this uh, councilman, as opposed to what Spock is wearing and the few people to his uh, his uh, former right. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Well, Picard, like, I don't know what, you know, what, what is Picard supposed to be looking like? You can tell a lot about people by what kind of fabric they're wearing, and I'm always... Yeah, like a weird tunic, like, like yeah. a burlap. You know, you make a and d character, and you wonder about that stuff, and it can do things for your charisma. You know, how, how far do they have to get before... You know, Spock almost has a military bearing in what he's yeah. wearing, and so does Captain Picard... Pardak actually does come across like a senator, and all of those civilians, it's just like, okay, well, we, you can tell somebody by their profession by what they're wearing, you know? Hmm. Or whether or not they're wearing a tracksuit. Uh, 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 Nimoy was, was Jewish, wasn't he? I dare say, yeah. And Did he ever... So- and Canadian? Uh, yes. Did he ever uh, celebrate his uh, Jewish heritage at all in anything that you can remember, Trek-wise? Uh, not, not like in an episodic. No, I mean like, like uh, you know, like at a, at a con or. Did he like lead a prayer or something? No, I just mean in any way, like you know, expressed his his faith. Uh, I I appreciate that when uh, men have the balls to express their faith in uh, environments that they may or may not be welcomed. I am not sure. I mean, the guy was doing cons before cons were cons. Yeah. Uh, and then, or at least, maybe, you know, and, and he wasn't necessarily doing cons. It was that he was, uh, he would have been well-received at them, or that he had to write, he had to write books about how he wasn't, he wrote a book, I Am Not Spock, and he later wrote another book, I Am Spock. Because I feel like, because I think he felt like he alienated some of his fan base. Uh, how do you feel his? How do you feel his discourse is with Picard at the moment? Like, who do you think is in charge here? Um, neither one of them, because they have two completely separate agendas that are trying to figure themselves out. Of course, Picard would be fascinated by the idea of bringing the Romulans to the peace table. It's a question of how they go about doing it and who they should trust and how much exposure there is going to end up being. You know, is Here's he going to get the... exposed? Is Starfleet going to get exposed? Is this going to look like a Starfleet Just threat? Real you know? quick, mm-hmm. this is one of the best scenes this is I've ever moment. seen. This is a great Star Trek moment. I need to know. I need to know your thoughts on this. Let's let him hear. Well, what do you mean? What do you need to know? You want to know why? You like this moment between Data and, and Spock? When when this moment is finished, I, know, I want to know your thoughts. Okay. I, this is the parallel, you know. I mean, the opportunity to get these guys on screen at the same time and have a conversation about their uh, relative. Mutual uh, plight. Exactly. It's I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I I don't call it call it plight necessarily, but yeah, you know their motivations as individuals. And then I think it's also amazing to have Spock and Data working on a Romulan situation on a Klingon ship on a Klingon console. Yeah. This is definitely unheard of. Uh, I can't imagine what was going through your head when it when it first happened. Well, it was weird because, oh, it, like, when I was a kid and this stuff was going down initially, it was that 
you know, I just took it for granted that the Klingons were allies now. Period. Like, it didn't make any sense to me watching the episodes that Klingons would be particularly snarky towards anybody. Uh, and then I realized over time, you know, hey, they're not all happy with the warrior way being kind of swept aside in favor of, you know, alliances. And that's what they changed, because in Deep Space Nine, they dissolve the Kittimer Accords, and they do get into a shooting war with the Federation. Um, and it kind of feels like this is the way it was always meant to be. But the entire time, it also feels like the Klingons are fighting with one arm behind their, tied behind their back. <laughs> Worf here. <laughs> what is he? What is he referencing? Like an old Klingon television show? <laughs> Worf is a Klingon. Uh, th this is one of those things I have an issue with. I don't recall whether or not there are any preceding moments where Worf depicted an interest in Klingon opera. This is an opportunity to poke a little fun at Worf because it makes sense. And then they ran with it. It's just like every other thing. You poke fun at Worf with, hey, you might like this. It's prune juice. And suddenly that's all he ever drinks. Yeah. And then, oh, you know, he likes Klingon opera. So that becomes a gigantic thing in Deep Space Nine. It's like he's, he's living on the Defiant by himself and he's... He's uh, the only guy on the ship sometimes, and he's in the bridge listening to Klingon opera and singing it at the top of his lungs by himself. It's just the same thing that I, I, I just I take I take a look. Oh, that's great! Look at that food. That is a great setup. That's wonderful props right there. Oh, I love this setup. You heard me, motherfucker. <laughs> Yeah, is this goddamn a, does this look like a waiter's uniform? <laughs> yeah. Get these bitches out of here. It was one of those like Tarantino things where they pull a gun out and wave at the whores and be like, get out. Very <laughs> Robocop. Yeah, very Robocop. Uh glad I'm sad Miguel died. That guy was awesome. Who? That guy should have been in Oh Miguel uh, uh Jose Ferrer. Uh, oh Miguel Ferrer, uh, I'm sorry. Jose was yeah, his father. Miguel. I know, I loved that guy. I, he was so he was he was either like really great in a show, like he played a really great guy, or he played a horrible person. Uh, always, always. I loved him. He was in Star Trek Three. He was one of the uh, Excelsior. I think he was the Excelsior uh, navigator or helmsman. This would have been one of those scenes where, uh, if it wasn't PG on TV, that that would have been like some Ferengi hardcore crack cocaine or a mound of fucking. Like, some sort of heroin. It's kind of impressive that, like, usually with the Ferengi, they don't go there. It, you had to go to Enterprise before they started talking about hard drugs. I'm not going to say they didn't have drugs episodes in The Next Generation, because if you recall, the episode that had Merritt Buttrick and, uh, in it, they had uh, those guys who were addicted to whatever medicines, you know, yes. were subject yeah. to this race and it's because they're dumping drugs on us. Uh, and then they never went back there again. But you've got Enterprise, season one. They're cruising along and they're like, why are there all of these, you know, almost dead, almost corpses on this ship? And uh, the doctor, you know, s suggests, hey, I can think of a lot of weird little enzymes that just come out of your feet that would go for a high uh, penny on, on the open or the, on the illegal markets. And it's just one of those creepy things, you know, to suggest that's what and I, that's what I like about the 22nd century in Enterprise is that even local space to Earth, Vulcan, Endoria, it's still dangerous. It's not entirely controlled. There is no Federation. There's no Starfleet that's actually covering all the bases and protecting everybody and pushing that stuff out to the fringes. So it's, it, I, I would love to see, it like, a Scarface Ferengi, just like what you're saying, you know? I think you can get away with it on uh, CBS streaming now with uh, Discovery and everything. I think we even saw Klingon nipples in Discovery at this point. 
Why do you think they're back in their regular Starfleet costumes rather than back in Romulan? Are I, they done with the mission? No, they're not. They're going to go back down there and screw around on Romulus some more. They're going to, you know, what's going to happen? They're going to get captured briefly yeah, but, by Sela. They have no but business these guys, being out of their Romulan costume. Agreed. That's not like they went back to the Klingon ship, got took a shower, put their shit back on, had a good night's sleep. I guarantee you, none of these guys had any sleep whatsoever. I'm not just obviously data, but um, I, I can imagine that there was no. There was no rest until this was done. Seems like most most of my uh, on-set jobs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because even the rest you get is not, you know, restful. Um, I know. I, I take I, – I, that's one of the reasons I give this uh, this pair of episodes some grief. It takes me out of the situation to see those things happening. It doesn't make sense to me. It's the same complaint. It, 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 just, it just takes Star Trek down to a lower... Uh, it, it sets the bar lower in my perspective. Are uh, there more, are there more peop- Romulans in the future that were intrigued by their Vulcan heritage? Like this um, kid? No, not really. Not so far. I mean, you, you have to get to... Uh, there are going to be more Romulan episodes, and you're going to hear about Romulan dissidents. And but does that ever do anything? Is there ever a popular revolt that like ruins the Romulan Star Empire or the Tal Shiar's hold over anything? No, right. you have to wait for the Dominion to trick the Obsidian Order of the Cardassians and the Tal Shiar of the Romulans into attacking them in an illegal with illegal fleets to crush them, thus making these military governments switch to civilian governments and weakening them. And uh, Spawn of of Yar from the the past. Mm -hmm. I have on occasion been able to hold one of those Romulan disruptors and uh, that were not the foam rubber ones. They're cast resin and the disruptor like the carbines you see some of these guys have in the background and those are some of the slickest most beautiful props i've ever had in my hands they're just exquisite and it always i always wanted uh, regular laser tag guns just so i could you know play around with the idea of having a romulan game of guns when i was little anyway uh yeah, no, what you're getting at is no. They don't do that because that would have drastically altered everything about the series. And they didn't do that stuff until Deep Space Nine um, because they wanted to show gigantic ramifications and they were willing to uh, make the bed that, or to sleep in the bed that they made for themselves as writers. So I appreciate the guts there. But then they got completely away from that kind of thinking in Voyager. Everything had to be, you know, status quo by the end of the episode. Really, you know, just not gutsy storytelling. So it gets it gets frustrating because the only other the next time we see anything about the the uh, uh, about uh, Spock's unification movement is in the J.J. Abrams 2009 Star Trek. And it's barely referenced. It's merely that he is qualified as a Romulan national, despite the fact that he is a Vulcan, and so a Federation national, who is trying to find a way to help save the Romulan Star Empire uh, while no one will listen to him about the danger of the Hobus Star. And um, this is me telling you a whole lot of spoilers. Because they don't do anything with this this dissident movement or the unification movement, um, even up to as far as uh, Star Trek Nemesis, which is ultra Romulan heavy. So what, they like forgot about this awesome storyline and didn't think they could ever pull something off of it? No, they just didn't do anything with it. I mean, you've got Praetor Shinzon generating a coup d'etat and eliminating the entire Romulan Senate in one assassination move taking over the government and setting the Romulan Star Empire in a course for 
all-out genocide war with the Federation, let alone any other Alpha Quadrant race post-Dominion War, and they don't bring this up at all in that movie. Uh, you don't, you've got a whole wonderful sequence between Tom Hardy and Patrick Stewart talking about how Shinzon is a clone, and he can't even get a second in edgewise to be like, hey, uh, have you seen Spock lately? How is he? You know? And at that point, I think that Spock would have been able to know i got to keep my head down or I'm going to get killed. How did you feel when they bought uh, Spawn of Yar in this? Did it make you happy or did it make you feel like it was a cash grab? What, Sela? I don't think... I, I didn't qualify anything as a cash grab back then. I, I don't think this was either because it's not like you were going to pay for something else. So I, I just don't... It just, I, I don't think the uh, terminology works here. It's an opportunity to get her back because it's... I mean, ratings? Sure. It's an opportunity to get ratings, but you've already got Spock in a Next Generation episode. I'm hey. glad that they did it in Season 5 because if yeah. they did it in Season 1, it would have really pissed me off. Like, oh, we can legitimize the, the series by bringing in people that you know and love and that you actually want to see as opposed to just giving you, like, the real characters that we just created and you like them or love it and wait till season five till we show Spock. Precisely. I dig, I know exactly what you're saying. Every, and then, you know, but it's, I got serious beef with this situation too that's going on on screen. This is hackneyed, you know, I have a problem with, with Sayla. She's running around acting like a petulant child because she can't get her way. Yeah. She's supposed to be a freaking admiral child. for crying out loud. I don't think that the Romulans would ever have let her get to that point, being an admiral. There's no Romulan general or admiral that they trust enough to let her half, let their half-breed daughter, specifically half-human daughter. Maybe they gave her like a a production credit, like, oh, you're Lieutenant General 8th class, which is... Yeah, something like that. You know, uh... But, what was uh, it from Rush Hour? Uh, whatever, whatever top secret. <coughs> was it G ten classified? I can't remember exactly what it was. But then I but also like get into this business of, you know, you. It, it, this shows how overpowered getting Spock, Picard, and uh, Data in a room together is. If they can access, what you're leaving them alone in a room for any reason? No, take them back to their fucking cell. And then you're leaving them alone in a room with a computer console and Romulan, like, pads, Romulan iPhones set out on the table. <laughs> Furthermore, yep. this is a reuse of the same set. It's Pro Console Neural's set. They just didn't go there. They didn't go there. And it's like, my beef with that is just, you guys set yourself up for this disaster. Uh and then they're what? They're going to show like the, the hologram's going to be Riker in a second. It's like we what? How, what photo did you have that uh, would allow for that? Did Data like have some kind of binary code that he zapped into the computer from his eye or something? I just don't <laughs> know. It just this this uh, this episode just dumbs down so many things. Hey, we've come back and you're not in here. It's just, what the, f it's, this isn't the holodeck. <laughs> Riker's hair, of course. Didn't get the hair right. Oh. One would hope at a certain point, that uh, races would start... I, don't, I just don't see why the Vulcan nerve pinch works on every random alien. <laughs> like, it should, it should like just be like, yeah, it doesn't it's work. It's always in the right race. spot. Yeah. It never works on Klingons, or it should never work on this. <laughs> now you get to grab them by the ball sack on that one. <laughs> yeah. Even in yeah. Star Trek Six. Captain Kirk had to uh, kick that alien in the Joes, but the Joes were his knees. <laughs> like in Men in Black, he's a Volchinian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. 
Ah, Gates McFadden gracing the bridge with your flowy presence. Beautiful in her in her fucking pockets. Oh, look at the <laughs> pockets. Give me some more pockets, baby. It's a beautiful color. Yeah, some of Hope those some of those jackets were I'm gonna say they were like organic. And some of them were she had one or two that were suedeish. And I think those were season two or, or I'm sorry, season three or four styles. Some really heavy ones that didn't uh, show off a lot of like uh, uh, rippling and stuff like that. Mm, I can see some screws in that uh, console display. I guess I guess what I'm going to come down to with this. In the end, my complaint is the... These episodes bit off more than they could chew. They still chewed it up. They still swallowed it. They're still more or less successful. There's just little things where it's like, okay, some stuff is falling by the wayside here. Oh, look at that beautiful disruptor. But where is the one that he had? He had a disruptor carbine. This is such a weird shot, too. There's only so much you could do with that set, I think, to get creative like, about your camera work. And, and still revolve around that little uh, micro uh, computer. Yeah, right. See, okay, here we go. And thus, thus ends Admiral Sela. We have no further appearance of her character in Star Trek. And Never in. That's the thing. Like, I really like her. Uh, I, I really like her appearance in the William Shatner, uh, the Shatner verse Star Trek novels, because she uh, she teamed up with Commander Shavernak's like granddaughter and some other people and Thomas Riker of all people to um, uh, try to do some stuff with the uh, the Borg in those books. Really entertaining, but it's at the same time. Anticlimactic. Not a good thing, guys. Yeah, they destroyed their own invasion force. Dummies. I mean, what do you think 2,000 people is going to do against an entire planet of Vulcans? <laughs> Even heavily armed. I think that the, you know, hey, I mean, 19 hijackers, what did they do to, to the United States? But still, it's just ridiculous. It's telemetry data. It's recordings. It's sensor logs. The freaking Federation flagship is sitting there. And they really haven't noticed that, that much. Happened. And this little rebellion... Oh, I would, these guys are just dissidents. They're, this is like a college. This is like college campus. These guys don't even protest because they'd this be is, gunned down in the streets. This is the same set that they use, except not Rocky, for uh, when uh, Riker got marooned on that planet with that kid that was actually one of the uh, bad the guys. Future, uh, imperfect. Yeah, yeah. It's just not so uh, techno, like more. Uh, yeah, they had a standing set. See, I guess I can accept what Spock is saying here. It may take them decades. And that's nice because Romulans are also long-lived, as are the Vulcans. And even at this point, you know, Captain Picard being as old as he is and still, like, a virile man, that's just the standard of living and the technological marvel of 24th century medicine. I like how their discourse has been... So back and forth. There hasn't been any raised voices. It's been nothing but respect. I think it still would have happened whether or not Spock had actually uh, mind melded with him. Or what, what, what's the specific term? Um, That's right, yeah. 
Yeah, mine had melded with him, and mine this melded. still this this still would have happened. Oh, or is that or, or, that is or, or it's just happening now? Sorry, I was thinking it happened earlier. Yeah, your oh. your dad loved you. Oh damn, that is performance right there. The finger placement. Oh man, that the three of them in that <laughs> shot and Data having nothing to say, but. Oh my god, I get to watch this thing. You know? It could be anybody. It could be Joe Blow the Romulan or Joe Blow the Vulcan <laughs> with with uh Jack Ted the anybody. And I'm getting to see a mind meld. Wow, the fascination. And yet Captain Picard at the same time. How did I'm a married man with a kid. Oops. Bill Burr jumped in there. Sorry, what? Yeah, I, I finished Bill Burr. I had to watch it twice. That was really good. Uh, how did you feel about this episode? I mean, like, like, did you like it? I remember when we first started to discuss it, you weren't too keen on it. Um, I'm still not. There's things to like about every Star Trek episode. And like I say, on any given day, the worst episode of Star Trek is still better than virtually everything else on television. Yeah. Um, I, I feel a like really good it, way to put it. I feel like there are really great things... And there are a lot of things that just miss the mark. Because, like I said, it bites off a lot. It's a question of if it was more than it could chew. Because if you're going to do this, then why don't you go there over there? Everybody did have something to do in the episode, sort of. I mean, we did have, you you know, the, the, the uh, contract. I'm not going to say there's a contract that says that everybody has to show up and get dressed out and be in every episode. But yeah. it's like, okay, you know, Dr. Crusher came onto the bridge and... Counselor Troy and Worf had a moment, and and uh, Riker was definitely doing cool stuff. He was being very Riker. That's there's that stuff, but it's like I think that they had to look at what they could do. Yeah, hey, we want to spend some money. We're going to build some new sets. We're gonna we're gonna build a standing Romulan street set. We're gonna build a proconsul set or his office. We're gonna do this other bar. And we can hide the fact that this, that, and the other by really, really low lighting. And I'm like, those are just budgetary tricks because there were so many alien makeups in that episode. How many Romulan background performers were there? And how many different new costumes had to be made for everybody? And those are relatively cheap costumes. You know, that wasn't a new, that wasn't a bunch of new Starfleet uniforms. That wasn't a bunch of new stuff that set a tone where it's like, okay, hey, we have existing Romulan fleet uniforms and we can bring Sayla back and make her the bad guy and, uh, you know, we'll get Denise Crosby back. You're going to pay her to come back. You're going to pay freaking Leonard Nimoy, who didn't want to be Spock anymore, to come back and reprise his role in the fifth season as opposed to the first season because by that point, it's like we said, the show needed to stand on its own two feet. So they mentioned the original series in, like, the third episode, and then they really didn't talk about it again until uh, the episode Sarek, which brought back Mark Lennard. And then after that, and of course you had Bones in the first episode, sorry. But then, you know, you get in here and you've got a serious tie-in. At that point, it's like, no, this is all its own show, and if we want to do something cool like this, let's get, let's get Nimoy here. Because you can't get Shatner to come back. No. Nope. Like, what what point would there be to bringing Shatner or Sulu or um, you you get Scotty? You get a Scotty episode. Have you seen that one? Relics. Nope, not yet. Okay. And uh, I mean, what what what's what's that's the beauty of it. What's to me, it's a question of like. You're in the writer's room. Hey, we want to do something to bring Spock in. What would, what would bring that to the table? Well, is it a time travel episode? No. It had to have been good. It had to have been the writing alone. Like, they, he, he, they probably been trying to get him on the show for years before they actually did until someone wrote a story that, like, someone act, that he actually was like, okay, I can do this one. This, this is good. This yeah. is something I can focus in on. I think that the, the beauty of it is that uh, 
bringing him in and focusing it around him and not having to do anything that pertained to the rest of the original series cast, which is not to say that that was all an ego thing or it was something where he wouldn't Good do point. it with the rest of the cast. Good I think point, but it had to be something new. Yeah, it needed to be like, how many, how many times did we get a just solo Spock situation? You just take all the other stuff out and just let Spock be Spock. And mm, can't think of any. Exactly. I mean, even in the original series, it's still it's it's Bill, it's Leonard, and it's D. Kelly. <coughs> and uh, people just fighting to get credits at the beginning of the series. So yeah, I don't know. What do I what do I not like about this episode? There's plenty of things. Just it do, it doesn't hit the mark all the time. It stretches itself too thin. Um, you've got Neral, who's supposed to, who's developed, developed as a big deal bad guy, and then his thunder is taken out from under him by uh, Sela, and then it's like Pardek. Okay, so Pardek, like, what's gonna happen? Where's the comeuppance? You know, all of that stuff. It just there's all these things that don't make any difference. And then in the end, is there one really good moment where Kavada realizes? He doesn't have a story arc. He's just kind of a prick the whole time, you know? Yeah, just when, this fat fuck payoff politician. No, 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 uh, Kavada, the ca- ca- Stephen Root's character. He oh, doesn't have oh, a sorry, moment sorry. where he's like, I understand you now. You must go in peace. Ha ha, I'm a Klingon. You know, like something like that. None of these no, things really was, he, happen. Well, he was still completely inconvenienced. <laughs> yeah, I guess. What it really, what it really gets, what really gets to me, I guess, is that last moment—the opportunity to sum up the entire stilted relationship between Spock and Sarek. Because the last time we saw them together was Star Trek IV, at the end of Star Trek IV, and it's still—is this the end of Sarek? Yeah, there's no more Sarek, right? Yeah, this is done. Like There's no the, more Sarek except with uh, the wonderful Ben Cross portraying him in the J.J. Uh, Abrams universe movies and uh, this new gentleman who's playing him in uh, Discovery, which all of that crap it, with him and Michael Burnham, it's all that's just so forced. I just, I just don't need that aspect of that character. I just don't see how it ever does anything. But I also haven't seen season two, so whatever. This has been great, man. This has been enlightening. I love watching these big monumental episodes with you and figuring out what – was it even actually monumental? <laughs> um, in some ways. I mean – It really didn't have any impact to any part of the story at all. That's the bitch I have about it mainly. I mean you're going to do this whole thing with a Romulan dissident movement that never gets any groundswell. You know, what happened to it? Is it the protesters in Tiananmen Square? No, it's not even that because they never get out and do anything. They don't get crushed by tanks. They don't, uh, we don't know. And that's the other aspect of it. This isn't China where, and we're, we live on a Thank planet God. where we are interconnected by the internet and they are cracking down on things in China that we're never going to know about because yeah, we're also on the internet and- afraid of our, and our, our society, our economy, our relationship with China. We're afraid of our relationship with China. We need them. And, uh, it's interconnectivity. All these people in the world, all these people I know who think that it's better when we're all interconnected, I think it's better when we all don't need one another. When you can stand on your own two feet, and then you can help people as you can help them. Oh, there was just an earthquake in Turkey? I can help you with that. Because my stuff is all handled. I am only living by the amount of resources that I've got. So you look at the Federation and you look at the Romulans, how do they gain what they've got? through diplomacy and assimilation or the Romulans through, we, we don't know how many races they've conquered. Not at all. Because that information is closed to everybody else. We don't see it as the civilians. If I were going to start writing Star Trek right now, that would be the thing that I would want to do. You've got cultures and civilizations that came in and they wiped you out and they said, no, you don't get to be Native Americans anymore. Or you had cultures that came in and they were like, hey, you, we, we're going to let you, you guys keep your churches, keep your, I don't know, your mosque, whatever. Keep what you've got. 
we're here, we rule things now, we're here and we're going to build you some roads, and we're going to show you our medicine, and, I mean, don't conflict with us over that, I know you think that you need to pray your, your, your sickness away, but, like, we don't want to die, and we're not going anywhere, I mean, show me that, even the, even there was a whole thing with the Cryosians and the Klingons in earlier seasons, where it's like, oh, there's some kind of, like, this, there's, there are, like, rebels within the Klingon Empire, and they never evolve that. Oh my God, that's really interesting writing. When you when you're the Absolutely. Federation and you're allied to an or to a uh, a political organization that is suppressing its own people, its human rights yeah. violations. We've got a problem, dude. You know, you are you allied to the Cardassians? No, you're not really. You don't like them. You're antagonized by them. You know, the Ferengi don't go around oppressing anybody except their women. <laughs> until they suddenly decide not to do that anymore there were reforms and did they get they got me too you know their society didn't collapse so i don't know if i were writing star trek right now and i had to pay attention to everything that had ever gone on that would be the two that'd be a huge key question to me right there yeah uh yeah we would like to be helping you with this situation we'd like to be trading with you with this situation but we know you're suppressing people that you conquered, and uh, we'd like you to come to the table on that. Well, that's a dick move on my part as, an, as a country, but, you oh, yeah. know. Anyway, I'm going off on a whole thing here. No, no, we're good, man. Like, uh, this has been a great episode. Anything you got to, like, wrap up with? No, man, I just went nuts on all of that stuff. I think that's my wrap-up. <laughs> that's, that's why everyone's listening, man. Um, lead us out. Yeah, thanks for uh, checking in with us, everybody. Um, I... I wish I had more things that I really, really liked about this to say, but uh, I think it really, the payoff is the, is the long track subtlety of that moment with Spock and Picard at the end and the, the Sarek mind meld. And God, I mean, I would kill to be able to experience that kind of a connection with people. Imagine that. Go back and look at the actual sci-fi element of this episode. It's not just that it's people on other planets. It's not that it's just other alien races that are easily identified and whether or not they're going to be treacherous or conniving because they happen to be wearing that uniform. You mean it's science fiction that a father would figure out a way to tell his son that he loved him? (laughs) I mean, I tell my boy I love him constantly, but I want him to just feel – I I want him to feel that, how much love there is. And that's that's one of those things that really, really gets me when – I get it from him. I understand how much he loves me. Like, you know, I think I mentioned it the other day. I mean, how much feeling he had for me in my, in a moment of despair. And like, that's science fiction. This is a great opportunity to look at a relationship between a father and a son. You go in and look at Jake and, and uh, Captain Sisko in Deep Space Nine, or go in and look at Dennis Quaid and Jim Caviezel in Frequency, or... You know, I don't know, just a weird moment like Kirk and, and David at the end of Wrath of Khan. Just in one scene, I'm very proud to be your son. You know, you just, yeah, you can tell them that. But it's awesome when you've got that extra little thing that just, mm, no, I really get it because we had a mind meld. You know? That's awesome. That's fascinating. That's science fiction. That's where this episode, I think, really, really glows. That's what I've got to say. Well, hey, send us home. All right. Good night, everybody. We will talk to you again soon. This is dangerous. Over and out.